Thank you, worship team. Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to head to your classes. For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. As you're turning there, just want to say uh, thank you very much to Pastor Jerry and Pastor David for uh, scrambling last Saturday night and Sunday morning after I uh, got very late in the game got sick. It was just came on very quickly on Saturday night, 6 o'clock. I'm like, oof, I don't feel so good. 8 o'clock, I'm like, I wonder if I should have a backup plan for tomorrow. And so I called Jerry. He's like, hey, do we have a backup plan? Uh, not really. <laughs> well, we're going to need one. And then by like 10, 1030, it's like, yeah, this is not happening. Um, so uh, that is the stuff of nightmare. I literally have, I'm not joking, I have nightmares sometimes about it being a Sunday morning and I've just forgotten that I have to preach. And so I have nothing and I'm walking up with nothing. And that's, uh, so I'm literally making nightmares come true. And so uh, thank you to Pastor Jerry for um, for getting that together, and Pastor David as well for the service last week, and feeling much better, and uh, ready to go, raring to go. So uh, let's uh, move forward in our time of worship uh, by studying God's Word together. So I am going to uh, read verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll pray. It says this, talking about Jesus, in Him we have... Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you, uh, we thank you that these things are true, and once again, we come to a point in your word where the realities are so glorious, they're so beyond our ability to fully grasp them, but just even just a glimpse of them, even a taste of it causes us to walk away completely changed, and so I pray that you would do that this morning, give us a glimpse, a taste of who you are in your word. We pray for our uh, kids and uh, Rock Prairie kids this morning as they study your word as well. We pray the same for them, God, that they would uh, be changed uh, by studying your word. So we love you, God. We thank you so much for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, three weeks ago, uh, Dr. McGee was here and he came and he kicked off our sermon series on Ephesians, and he brought a little uh, object with him. Do you guys remember what that was? It was a snow globe. Very good. That, and he talked about that. He talked about understanding that snow globe as the key to understanding the book of Ephesians. And the more I've thought about that, like, I just haven't been able to get that out of my head the past three weeks. And what he meant by that uh, illustration with the snow globe, that he said there's a world inside of the snow globe. He said, so let's imagine we're all little tiny snow globe people, and we live in the snow globe. There's a world in this, it was a snow globe of uh, Chicago or something, I don't remember what it was. It was a city. He's like, imagine you live in that little city inside of that snow globe, and there's a world that you see and you're a part of in that city, and the weather's not often very good because it's always snowing, right? And, and, but there's the world that you see, but he said, but there's a whole other world 
outside of the snow globe. And uh, that reality should affect how you live just as much, if not more, as what is inside of the snow globe. And uh, I've been wrestling with that the past couple weeks, just like realizing that this is the daily battle of being a follower of Jesus, is to be able to take our eyes and look beyond just our immediate circumstances, which are right in front of us, which we all see and experience every day, and look beyond that to the world that is unseen. And that doesn't come naturally. Like, we have to fight for that. I have to fight for that. This is real life. This is me. Like, I have to fight for that. What comes naturally to me is thinking about what's in front of me, being infected, affected by my day-to-day life, and not thinking about what is beyond. And so we need to fight to see and believe what is already true of ourselves. And this is what makes the Apostle Paul so remarkable, is that for him, Two things could be true at once. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter to the Ephesians? Where was he? In prison. Yeah, that's right. He was in prison. And yet, where else was he? Seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That was just as real to him as was his existence in prison. And he didn't just say it. He lived it out. Paul was in prison a handful of times. Remember the first time he was in prison in Macedonia. Do you remember what he did in prison? He sang hymns, right? Because that's just obviously what comes naturally to you when you're in prison. You just, oh, let's, let's have a hymn sing right here, right now. That's what Paul did. He sang hymns. And then he gets imprisoned in Rome. And this is a serious thing. Like his friends are worried about his life. It's a big deal to be thrown into a Roman prison. And so Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church to give them an update about how he's doing. And what he says in the letter to the Philippians, you can read it. He says, hey guys, don't worry about this whole prison thing. Like, my, don't worry about me. Me being in prison is actually advancing the gospel and it's giving other people boldness to advance the gospel. So actually, this is great. Like, you can stop worrying about me and start worrying about other things because my imprisonment is serving to advance the gospel. And church, like this has to be our outlook on the world. We have to fight to see beyond our circumstances inside the snow globe and fix our eyes on what is true outside of the snow globe of our life. And I'm not talking about just like fake smiles either. Right? Like, oh, it's, it's not so bad. It's, yeah, you know, it's just have faith in Jesus. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But there's a sense that we need to recognize and fight to recognize, along with Paul, the Apostle Paul, that these are light, momentary afflictions. Whatever affliction that you have going on right now is light, and momentary compared to what? The eternal weight of glory in Christ Jesus. And the only way to do that, 
There's a couple ways to cultivate this, but it, it doesn't happen without a deep and abiding relationship with Christ. Like you cannot, you, if you don't have a deep and abiding relationship with Christ, a daily walk with the Lord, then of course all you're going to see is what's in front of you. Of course you're going to be dragged down by your circumstances. So you need that. But then that's not the only thing. And that's not just like a quick fix either. Sometimes you have a deep and abiding relationship with the Lord. And it's still hard. And sometimes we just can't see beyond our circumstances. That's when we need other people, don't we? We had a great illustration of this this weekend. My brother is here, and uh, he, every once in a while he comes, and he's real handy. I'm real not. And so he comes, and uh, we call it a project. We do have a project that we do over the weekend. And uh, so we're doing a project this weekend, and we're building a little something in our, uh, like, build, anyways, I'm not going to get into it, but um, building a little something, and... Um, Yesterday, we wake up early, and we're working on it all day. We get this whole thing framed out, and uh, we're feeling good. Like, it looks really cool. Uh, we're really excited about it. And Emily walks in, takes one look at it, and says, why is everything shifted over like three inches? <laughs> like, why is it completely off-center? Like, what do you mean it's not off-center? Like, it's supposed to look like that. Like, we had an trip, you know, for me, like, especially it's my wife pointing it out. It's like, oh, that's a double win, right? Like, like, no, it's supposed to be like that, sweetie. You're just looking at it. I'm like, no, sweetie, you're just looking at it wrong, right? Uh, no, she was, she was looking at it right. Um, and so then we had to spend a, a couple hours uh, tearing some things down, shifting everything over, and getting it to square. And, um, but man, that just happens sometimes in your life too, doesn't it? Where you're looking at the same problem, and it just looks normal to you. Like You just think, this is what it's supposed to look like. And you just literally don't have eyes to see it, and you need somebody who's willing to say, you're looking at this wrong. Like, um, you got to make some changes here. And I know you don't want to hear it, because <laughs> I know it's going to be some work. <laughs> uh, but man, we need people, don't we, to do that. To help us see beyond what is in front of us and see the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And in this passage that we've been studying for the past several weeks now, we see Paul, this is the greatest sentence in all of Scripture. It's one sentence, verses 3 to 14. It is certainly the longest sentence in all of Scripture. And, uh, and what Paul is doing is trying to take the, the Ephesian church, their eyes, the recipients of this letter, off of their current circumstances and fix them onto the eternal realities. And so we've seen these incredible things that you have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed you in many ways. And so two weeks ago, the first thing we saw, God blessed you by choosing you. God blessed you by choosing you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. Imagine you are in a job interview and the job requirement says you need to be holy and blameless. What are you putting on your resume? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> none of your education, none of your employment history, none of your special hobbies and interests and skills. You got nothing to put on your resume for holy and blameless. Except what? <laughs> a reference. <laughs> Sorry to be cheesy, I know I'm taking this analogy too far, but you got a reference from the God of the universe that says, actually, I, before the foundation of the world, I chose this person 
to be holy and blameless before me. And if that's pretty good, if that's the resume you're turning in, you got a reference with the God of the universe who says, I've chosen my child to be holy and blameless. That's a pretty, pretty strong resume, I would say. God blessed you by choosing you, and God blessed you by adopting you. By adopting you. He didn't just choose you from a distance to bless you. We have a, so speaking of Guatemala, we have a kid named Marcos that we sponsor in Guatemala, and we send $40 a month down, and he's able to go to school and get food for his family and all the different uniform and all these different things, and he sends us back letters. We can send him letters. If you go to Guatemala, you can get a sponsor kid too. You can meet him. It's great. You should totally do it. Um, but we didn't adopt him. He's not in our family. See, we're blessing him, and he's blessing us. But it's a long-distance thing, and that's a great relationship. But that's nothing compared to adopting someone into your family. Now you're a full family member, and that is what God has done for you. And sometimes we like to try to push God off far away, don't we? He's out there. Yeah, I know he's blessing me, and I come to church on Sunday, and I remember the blessings. And, but it's out there. It's, out, it's over there. No, you've been adopted into his family. You're a member of the family of God. What greater blessing is that? Is there than that? Or I can't think of many. Can you? Okay. Good. We're on the same page. But it's not it. How did God do that? How did God adopt you into his family? That's where we get into our verse for this morning. He did that by redeeming you. Redeeming you. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. What's redemption? What does it mean to redeem something? In our culture, it's like what, like credit card points, like you redeem them for an airline trip or something. It's not what is talking about here. The biblical definition of redemption is this, to set free on the basis of a ransom paid. To set free on the basis of a ransom paid. In him, we have redemption, to have been set free on the basis of what? You guys following along? On the basis of what? His blood. Thank you, Gavin. We have redemption through his blood. We have been set free. We were in prison, and now we're set free free. And there's an irony here, isn't there? Because Paul, in the world's eyes, used to be free, then he met Christ, and now he's in prison. That's how everyone in the world would see Paul's situation. What does Paul say? Before Christ, I was in prison, and now I'm set free. And what he's actually doing here with this word redemption is calling his audience's attention back to the Exodus, back to the Exodus. In Exodus 6, God's talking to Moses, and he says this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will what? Redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God promised to redeem his people when they were in slavery in Egypt. And how did he do that? What was the final plague on the Egyptians before Pharaoh finally let them go? 
was the death of the firstborn, right? Every firstborn son in Egypt would die, but there was a way to be spared. You spread the blood of a spotless lamb on the doorpost of your house. If you do that, you would be spared, and that's exactly what happened. God redeemed his people and rescued them from slavery. The cost was the blood that was shed. And the mind-blowing thing that Paul is praising God for here is that he has redeemed us from our slavery to sin by sending his one and only son to be the sacrificial lamb for us. Praise God. And so this morning, I don't know if all of you are following Jesus who are in here this morning. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're sitting here thinking like, yeah, prison, spiritual prison's a pretty good description of my life. Like, no matter what I do, I, I can't get out. And anything I do, try to do just makes it worse. Like, if that's you, oh, you should know the best news that there is. God has busted into the prison. And he's already paid off the guard and the price was steep. It was the blood of his son. But that blood bought your freedom for every follower of Jesus. So be free. Every once in a while you hear like a, a tragic story on the news of a prisoner who, uh, who maybe is, uh, who's served his sentence. He's supposed to be free, but there's a paperwork issue or a clerical problem. And, he's, and really people realize, oh, he's in jail and he's not supposed to be anymore. And, uh, and oftentimes that's the case uh, when we reject Jesus, we choose to stay in our prison. And don't let that be, story, be your story. The price has been paid. This is the way we sing. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured. Love untold. The price of our redemption shows an incredible untold love that God has for us. You've been redeemed, church. You've been set free. And if you've been redeemed, it means your sins have been forgiven. And that's the next way that God has blessed you, by forgiving your sins. Paul goes on, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace. And trespasses, that's another word that we don't use very often. Like, you know, honey, what's wrong? Oh, you trespassed against me. You know, we don't say that or think very often. Um, the only time we hear that word is no trespassing signs, right? Like, which just means like, don't go where you're not supposed to go. And um, that's kind of the idea here, but it's a little different. There's actually two different words in the New Testament for sin. Uh, the first one, which is not the one that is used here, has the idea of missing the mark. Uh, and maybe you've heard this before. It's like you get pulled over by a police officer, and uh, you've got two headlights out, your license is expired, your uh, license plates are not uh, renewed, you don't have insurance. Like, you have, like there's a standard that you need to fit to be able to drive on the road, and you have missed that standard. That is one of the uh, New Testament uh, concepts of sin, missing the standard that has been set. But this one is actually uh, different. 
The word that's used here, is, uh, that's translated trespasses, carries with it the idea of intentionality. It's a willing decision to break the law of God. It's knowing what you're doing is wrong and doing it anyway. It's like driving and you see the, the police officer with the speed trap and uh, you make eye contact with him and then you flip in the bird and step on the gas and you know, like, that's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Like, it's intentionality. And the point is, our sin is both. We fail tremendously to live up to God's standard. And we fall short of his standard. We trespass against his standard willingly and aggressively by undermining his authority. And that's why we need to understand both redemption and forgiveness. It's both. These things go hand in hand. You have been bought with a price and you have been forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't mean that God has decided your sin isn't a big deal. I'll say that again. Forgiveness doesn't mean that God has decided your sin isn't a big deal. Yeah, I'm making too much of this holiness thing. I'm going to just let it slide. That's not what it means. Your sin matters so much that blood needed to be shed. God in Christ, by sending his son to purchase you, has forgiven your sins because of the riches of his grace. You've been forgiven. And that's true. I just want to remind you of two things. His grace is enough. The standard is the riches of his grace. God is rich with grace, and he has lavished it upon you. His grace is enough. And I come into contact with many Christians, and I struggle with this sometimes myself, who have this sinking feeling that somehow God's grace isn't enough. They know in their heart they've been forgiven, but they, in their head they've been forgiven, but they still feel like in their heart God hasn't really forgiven them. And if that's you, be free from that burden that you are heaping upon yourself. You have been forgiven. So that's number one. If you've been forgiven, remember, his grace is enough. And then number two, if you've been redeemed from your slavery, don't go back to Egypt. What did Israel do Right after God set them free, they walk across the Red Sea. And then what happens? I'm hungry. Grumble, grumble, complain, complain. Ah, let's go back to Egypt. It was better there. Anyway, golly. Oh, and we do the same thing. And we live like it was better for us in our bondage than in our freedom. And so one false takeaway from hearing about God's redemption and forgiveness is to then say, oh good, God doesn't care how I live. No, God cares because he wants you to live like an adopted son. God deeply cares how you live. Because the evidence of someone who truly understands their redemption is someone who says, there's no way I'm going back there. 
There's no way I'm going back to how things used to be when I was in bondage and slavery to my sin. I am not going back to Egypt. And when you do find yourself and your heart longing to go back there, and that's what sin is, that's what we all do from time to time. It's when we repent and we ask for forgiveness, which brings us right back to point number one and remembering that God's grace is enough. You've been forgiven. So believe that. Let that truth sink into your heart and then resolve and say, I'm not going back there. I don't want to live that way anymore. And we fall short. We repent. And it's a cycle over and over. And this is following Jesus. This is the Christian life. God has blessed you by redeeming you by the blood of Jesus and forgiving your sins. And I just got to be honest, I feel like that's a full sermon right there. And uh, Paul does not give us a break here in this passage because now that we're talking about, you know, just some of the most glorious things that God has done for every believer in Christ. Now just Paul moves on to just talk about the light topic of the plan for the whole universe. <laughs> so this is where we're moving on to God has blessed you. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. So what is God's plan? Spoiler alert, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God's plan, we need to understand this. God's plan for the universe is to bring everything in heaven and everything on earth under the authority of Jesus, to unite them together under Jesus. And we've heard this before. Remember our, our series on heaven, the very first uh, sermon in the series on heaven, we talked about there's two basic ways that you can look at the world. You can say, this is a bad world. And God sent Jesus to get me out of the bad world into the good heaven. And that's often just our baseline of how we think about things. But it's not biblical. <laughs> it's not how the Bible describes the world. Actually, the Bible says there's a heavenly realm and an earthly realm. In the beginning, what did God create? The heavens and the earth. The earthly realm fell and sinned. <laughs> The heavenly realm affected by sin, right? The fall of Satan, the other angels. So now we got a whole big mess of a problem on here, on our hands. And what is God's solution? To unite heaven and earth together in Christ under his rule and reign 
and authority and fix that sin problem once and for all. That is where we are heading. This is the most biblical view of the world. And there's a, there's a super fun word that Paul invented here to try to describe this. This is what Paul does. This is what, by studying Paul, can be difficult at times because he's trying to describe things that are like beyond words. And so he makes up words to try to describe what's going on. And the word that he invented here in Greek is uh, anakephaliosasthai. Who wants to try and say that? Okay, nobody. That's okay. In the middle of that word is the word kephale, which means head, bringing everything together under a head. The plan for the fullness of time is to bring everything in the known and unknown universe to us under the same head, which is Jesus. That means that your eternity is going to be centered around Jesus. And I fear, we talked about this a little bit in the Heaven series, but I fear that so many of us not only imagine a heaven, uh, an eternity, a heaven that is completely void of Christ, but we actually dream about that. of an eternity without Jesus, where you're just left on your own to do whatever you want and for eternity and spend time with your loved ones. And, and I think we're just going to be shocked at how Jesus-centric eternity is because he is the point of everything. Jesus is the point of everything. He's the head. So what does that mean? What does that mean for me right now? Well, eternity starts right now. And so what that means is don't run around with your head cut off. If Jesus is the head, maybe you're saying, my life feels so chaotic right now. Why does it feel like nothing works, like everything's always backfiring like I can never get where I want to be. Maybe you're running around with your head cut off. Why does our world feel like it's in chaos? Because we're running around with our head cut off. And the solution isn't anything other than Jesus. In your life, in any problem in the world, ultimately, the full and final solution is bringing everything under Jesus. So when life is difficult, life is chaotic, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the problem is because you've been running around without your head. So we need to say, God, Help me submit all that I am under the authority of Christ, the one who has chosen me, who has adopted me, who has redeemed me, who has forgiven me, and who has shown me. It is all about him. We need Jesus. We need to see outside of our little world, 
outside of our circumstances and to the world that is beyond. So even these real sufferings that we walk through sometimes, we can say that is a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. And when we can't see it ourselves, we need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who can point out and say, hey, you're running around with your head cut off right now. We've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And we've been shown that Christ is the one who it's all about. So let's stop running around with our head cut off and let's live our lives worshiping him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, uh, we confess, I confess, how often am I trying to run around with my head cut off outside of the authority of Jesus, forgiving, forgetting that I've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. I've been freed from my prison. I've been forgiven of my sins, God. And often I forget that your grace is enough. I don't believe it. And oftentimes I find my heart longing to go back to Egypt, God. So help us as a church to be a people who keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who remember it's all about him. Say, I'm not going back to Egypt. And help each other see these things in our lives. We're not called to walk it alone. We need each other, God. We praise you for your word. We praise you for the hope that's found in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand and let's respond to worship.